Good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year. If you're here, it's because you probably did not stay up late and watch the ball drop or watch Ohio State drop, one of the two. Lots of people staying up late last night. We have a lot of sickness going on, so as they, you've already heard this morning, please be praying for those who are sick. Um, but it's good to see you. I love New Year's. This is my favorite Sunday of the year. I love it. And so, of course, we're going to start a new series today because what else can you do? You're not going to pick up where you left off. It's, it's the first of the year. And so what we are going to start is a series on how to grow as a disciple. Sounds basic. And it is. And it's good to do basic things. Um, our hope is, is that when 2023 ends, you will love Jesus more than you do today. So what we're going to do as a leadership team is basically employ all of our best strategies, exert all of our best efforts to this effect. Because we understand that to be in Christ is to be in process as a believer. So when I say in Christ, I mean as a believer of Jesus, buried in his identity. To be in Christ means that we're always in transit, somewhere between where we used to be and where we are headed. But disciples grow as they're moving so to borrow from Paul's language, we're being transformed into the image of Christ, not really conformed to the image of this world. In fact, if you're looking for books to add to your book list this year, Pilgrim's Progress is always a very good one. Um, Pilgrim's Progress is an old book written by John Bunyan back in the day, and it's basically a story of a guy named Christian not real subtle there. He is the Christian example in the story, going from one place to the next, from the city of destruction to the celestial city. It's the path of discipleship. It's him growing. And that's how it is. When we are born again, we're not born again into stasis. And a life of inactivity is inconsistent with Christianity. But here's the paradox. Everyone in this room, we want to grow and we don't want to grow at the very same time. We're a little bit of a walking contradiction, which is why we struggle with the same old things over and over again, making the same old resolutions to get the same old results to the same old shame. You know, it's interesting. I mean, as much of a geek about this day as I am, when I ask people about their goals and resolutions, I always get the same Reaction. You'd think I asked them to disclose their taxes or ask them how much they've lost in Bitcoin or something like that. I get this look on their face of, why are you shaming me right now? I'm bored with this conversation. Can we talk about anything else? And I get it. I get it. To talk about New Year's resolutions or goals, it makes people feel like they did when they were seven years old and they said they wanted to be an astronaut, right? They kind of hope for it, but Deep inside, I think you all knew you weren't going to be astronauts, right? It's just something that you wanted to happen. And I think what signals this is we really want to change, but we really hope that change comes accidentally. Maybe we just pick it up along the way. Maybe this year we'll be luckier than we were last year. I think that's how a lot of people approach the first of the year. Historically, and I was talking to the folks backstage about this earlier, I have focused on gospel-centered resolutions at the turn of pretty much every single year since we've been a church. And it, whether it's the last week of the year or the first week of the year, whatever is closest to the first. And that's because I find not just a little biblical evidence, but striking biblical evidence that striving is part of a growing disciple's life toiling, reaching, working, maturing, 
progressing, aiming, all of these things. It's part of who we are. Now, I'm going to call it gospel-framed striving, and I'll talk about why here in a moment, but it's really reaching not for things as much as a deeper discovery of who Jesus is. As we discover who Christ is more and more, we mature, and as we mature, we want to discover more and more Christ, and then we enjoy him more, and because of that enjoyment, we mature again, and it spins like a cycle that's on a feedback loop. Now, I think it's important to recognize, and this is valid, that a lot of the growth that we find ourselves moving through, it's growth that we did not strategically plan. It comes by trial. A lot of times we just have trials find us. Loss of a job, loss of a child, loss of health, loss of friends, loss of home. You will experience growth, deep growth, by virtue of trial. Trials, they do a lot of things, and one thing they do is they reform us. They reshape us. I mean, I am more mature today, not just by the books I've read, not just by the the men and women who have spoken deeply into my life. I've grown because of some of the, the dark valleys I've had to move through, some of the trials I've had to wrestle with, and I know you're the same. So some of the growth we experience, we don't really have to plan for or build or be disciplined for. But I would say the majority of our growth comes through a formatted way. What I mean by that is we are discipled by each other, right? We put ourselves in community positions with each other. Whether you were out there setting up and tearing down today, it takes about 30 people, give or take, to run our setup and tear down, to make this thing happen on Sunday morning. Listen, that, that process of showing up week after week and doing that, it's a part of discipleship. It's part of how we grow. Showing up to a missional community, having awkward moments in a living room, having awkward moments when we're one-on-one or one-on-two in a DNA, that's part of discipleship, right? It's part of how we grow, and it's formatted. Same thing with our spiritual disciplines in our own time. Whether you're going to read the whole Bible this year, and I challenge you to do that. And listen, I don't think there's one app that's a whole lot better than another to help along with that or whatever printout you have on your refrigerator as long as it gets the job done, right? I mean, whether it's reading the Bible throughout the year or memorizing scripture or prayer, filling up a prayer journal or whatever it is, something that is formatted that we would call a spiritual discipline, that is how we are discipled. We grow in that way. We grow in classes, settings like this, when we're biblical stewards with the money that God has given us, we grow. When we're good biblical stewards with the time that God has given us, we grow. Listen, when we're good missionaries, when we're healthy missionaries, and we declare or demonstrate the gospel to those around us who really need to hear the good, sweet story of Jesus, we grow. I mean, it's a part of discipleship. Now, I carefully attach gospel-framed to this striving because I think our behavior builds no contract with God. It's always important for me to drop that in there. Your behavior, if you check all of your boxes, some of you, you can get right in the weeds with me when it comes to building New Year's resolutions. I quit counting at 22. I have more than 22 goals, right? I'm trying to catch up with Jonathan Edwards. He had somewhere around 100, give or take a little bit. I'm going to get there one day, right? But I can get really nerdy about that. But if I knock all of those out, 22 plus, however many I have, It doesn't build any contract with the Lord where he gives me things or doesn't do things to me or likes me more. It doesn't do any of that. It's important that we understand that we carry our resolutions to the foot of the cross. 
with the identity that we have in the gospel. There is no situation where God looks down and sees your impressive memory verse list and says, I see you down there. I see what you're thinking about doing. Listen, if you pull that off, it's going to be a great year for you. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. But we strive as disciples. We strive. Colossians 1.29. Don't turn there because this isn't going to be our main passage for the day. But Colossians, Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Later on, you'll catch Paul saying, I press on towards the goal. He tells people later on that he has to strive against sin, that they strive together in prayer. He says things like this a lot. You see, you and I, we're called to a life where we're leaning forward, grabbing, reaching, striving, toiling, struggling, wrestling. We're called into that life. And the more mature we grow in Jesus, the more we enjoy Jesus, and as we enjoy Jesus more, we mature more. And then that maturity provokes a deeper love and intimacy with Jesus, and on and on and on it goes. This is why it's important to spend a significant amount of time not just building resolute goals as a Christian, but systems, systems that, and patterns and routines that will grow us as disciples. I think that the end of the year and the beginning of a new year is always effective to look backwards and look forwards. I've preached on this before, probably last year when I did this, how January is named after the Roman mythological god of Janus who has two heads, one looking forward and one looking back. It's a great time for us to kind of reflect and ask some really hard questions. What did I really want this last year and did I get it? Did I grow closer with the Lord and enjoy him more or less. What was the biggest hit I took? How did I move through it? What was the greatest moment I had? Right? To ask some deep points of reflection and then to plot forward. Here's what I do know about growth. It's not going to happen accidentally. It's going to require some toiling, some striving, and some effort. And here's what I also know about growth. Growth requires change. Change requires loss. And loss hurts. It hurts. Loss is difficult. I mean, maturity, that's not cheaply won. We, we don't get that for free. No, not even close. This is how leaders are born. There's a great book called Leadership Pain, written by a guy named Samuel Chand. And it, the, the book is a good book, but the one statement that kind of stands out is that you'll only grow as a leader to the level of pain you can tolerate. Now, I say that to this room not because I think everyone in here leads a Fortune 500 company or a church or anything in between, but everyone in here is called to lead. Everyone in here is called to lead. Now, your, your spheres of leadership obviously are going to be different, right? I mean, some of us, it, it, we're leading companies. Others of us, we're not leading companies. We're leading a household. And sometimes I would say that's probably just as hard, if not as hard as leading a company, right? I mean, we're all leading in different directions and shapes, but for us to lead, for us to grow as a leader requires change in our life. It means putting some things down. It means loss, and that always hurts. It's always painful to do that. So I'm going to look at a passage with you as we kick this off in Hebrews 5. And this is going to be helpful 
for all of us, and I think it's going to show us an element of the cross, but it's definitely going to lift all the weight for us in this topic of changing as a disciple. So this is Hebrews 5, and we're going to jump into verse 11. We don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews, by the way. I always qualify that. Some say it's Paul. Some say it's Apollos. Um, We're not quite sure, but this is the word of the Lord to you and to me. The author of Hebrews says this about this. We have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Now, they didn't find them dull of hearing. They became that way. They grew that way. They progressed that way. Or, I guess you could say they regressed that way. They became dull of hearing. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I want you to stay there. This this is a passage that talks about moving from the position of an unskilled child to a place of maturity, but it requires practice. It says constant practice and discernment. But what does that really look like? If we could be honest, in 2023, what does this look like? Right? To grow as a disciple. Is it something we can measure? We could put a ruler next to it? What would it, what would it even look like? How would we even know that we're growing? How do we know if we're even getting close? What does it cost? And I mean really cost. Does it matter how you grow? Is it all about reading? Is it all about memorizing things, showing up to things, praying, repenting? What is it about? What specifically does discipleship look like? These are all important questions. We're going to answer all of them. We're going to answer every single one of them because I want you to grow the most you've ever grown this year because I want you to enjoy Jesus more than you've ever enjoyed him before. I want you to enjoy to the point where you were intoxicated with the idea of discovering more of Jesus every single day. And for that, I want you to grow. We're going to answer these questions because here's what I also know about growth. We all have years where we grow vibrantly in years where we regress, right? Not much in the middle. What I mean by that is, is there is no such thing as cruising altitude. We, we drop that term from time to time. It's a mirage. The idea is that you're pretty much frozen in time, paused from where you were last year or two years ago. You've not really moved. You have, quote, unquote, stayed at cruising altitude. That's not true, though. It's not how it works. We're either tackling forward or we're tumbling backward, but there is no such thing as pause in the Christian life. But we're fooled into thinking that we are paused because our movement is small, undetectable, and it's incremental. It's a slow movement. I mean, one thing that's been helpful for me, I want you to think about a tree that's been cleanly cut right across the trunk so that you can see what's called annual rings or seasonal rings to be more specific. You probably went to something as a kid, some museum, or maybe you just were in the woods once and you saw something was cut. You could pretty much count how many years or growth seasons that tree had been alive, right? 
Each of those rings represents a different season, and it's a little bit of a living archive on how the various years went. You can actually see where a branch grew funny, where bugs were a problem. You could see which seasons there was a drought. You could actually see if there was wind damage to a tree just by on the rings, just by looking at them. But here's the thing. As much as it tells a story, we get to see it with deep perspective because we're looking across the whole scope of the tree's life. But you can't see that in real time because it's slow and it's internal and it's incremental. Here's the thing, I have rings. You do too. We have rings as Christians. Some seasons we've had, have, they've not been vibrant with growth and in others, a little bit more diseased, plagued even. One way we know this is the fruit that we bear, by the way. Stay where you're at in Hebrews, but we're going to splash John 15 up on the screen. And this is a passage you've heard if you've grown up in the church probably more than once. Jesus is speaking and he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Okay. I think we all get the big idea. That doesn't require, it's one of those passages that does not require a lot of teaching, right? It kind of teaches itself. But the big idea is that we bear fruit by deep connection to Christ, okay? With Jesus, we bear fruit, and that fruit looks like Jesus, That's why we call it the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's the Spirit of who? Jesus. Connected to Christ, we look like Christ, and the fruit is very low-hanging, to be honest with you. But apart from Christ, there is no fruit. Or even worse, the fruit we have is malformed because it looks like the world we're connected to, not Christ. Listen, we've clearly regressed if that's the case. Listen, friend, regression is real. There is no cruising altitude. And we usually find regression in our life most vividly when we least want to see it. If you're married in the room, have you ever had a moment where you're in a very difficult fight with your spouse and you have thought to yourself, I am paying the piper right now. This is because I have failed to make some incremental and small investments for the last few years. Some minor things I could have said, some minor investments I could have made would have prevented this. But I didn't. I was apathetic, and here we are. Or or your health, right? Have you ever gotten to a place where you heard something from a physician, or you just looked in the mirror, and you thought, okay, I am here, not on accident. I made small investments, which are votes on the person I wanted to become. And here I am. That's when it shows up the lack of fruit. That's when it shows up, the small rings of growth in our life. That fade is so undetectably slow in the moment. It feels so minor in its effect, but the lack of fruit is indicting. Listen, in our church, at Legacy, we have a lot of people, a lot of people who were initially impacted on the college campus. I'm one of them, right? God wrecked me as a senior in college, never looking back. And here's what I know. When you are young, 16, 
17, 19, 22, when you're in that young period, which is, by the way, is the majority of when people come to know the Lord, right? The vast majority of salvations happen between, I think, 16 and like 22 or something. It wiggles from time to time. But if that was you, growth rings were fat back then, weren't they? Yeah, they were. You had nothing but this thing called time. And your risk tolerance was sky high because, friends, you weren't, you, you weren't responsible for anything, right? I mean, I would wake up in the morning, find my car keys and a stick of deodorant, which are about the only two things I needed to successfully navigate that day. I didn't have anything like a big bill waiting for me. I wasn't married with kids. I didn't have any of that. So I could just explore Jesus for hours, throw a hammock up on a tree and not even look at my watch, you know? I mean, it was just so easy, tons of margin, so idealistic, free to make radical changes, big pivots. Later with kids in a marriage, you realize you're responsible for more than just yourself. Life slows down, doesn't it? Just a little bit, and it speeds up. Because now you have a demanding career you're trying to navigate. You have this thing called a mortgage. You look in the mirror, and you realize it's very likely you have been leaking courage, leaking adventure, idealism starts to walk out the door. We have forgotten all of those Bible memory verses that were tattooed on our soul. We go back and read our old journals. It's like reading somebody else's work. Is it possible that maybe your tree rings have gotten a little bit smaller? Maybe there's no fruit anymore. Maybe you're still wrangling basic principles as we read in Hebrews or elementary doctrines. Friends, you're not alone. You're not alone if that's you, not even close. This is what it goes on to say in the first two verses of Hebrews. Therefore, he says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Go on to maturity. Go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. And then he goes on to list a few things. The instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Basically, they're circling this cul-de-sac of basics. And he's saying, it is time to move on. It's time to move on. Why is this so hard? Why are we so easily stuck moving in circles when it comes to our own growth and change? As adults, it's hard because the older we get, the greater the cost of letting things go become. It's harder to lay things down, right? It's harder. But I think that adds value to it. I think that brings depth to the disciple. This is what we read in Luke 9.23. And you can stay in Hebrews. And he, it says, and this is Jesus, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Again, another passage that pretty much preaches itself. Doesn't really require a seminary grad to come up and cut it into pieces. Taking up a cross is just wearing the life of Christ, really the death in the life of Christ. To wear it, to step into it, to be identified with that, to take up a cross. And this is weighty, this lifestyle, which is why we are warned repeatedly to count the costs before we step into it. Now, what has kept me from growing in the past is the same thing that keeps you from growing. I don't want to change if it means loss. I want to mature, but I want it to be easy to mature. Just like you, I like the idea of improving. 
I just don't want to pay the piper. I mean, who doesn't love the idea, just the idea, of having a bunch of passages of the Bible memorized that you could call upon at any moment? Who doesn't love the idea of finally getting around to reading those 20, 30, 40, 55 books that you've been meaning to get around to? Who doesn't like the idea of this, of praying more, of being a person of prayer? Who doesn't like the idea of finally losing anxiety or anger? Who doesn't love the idea of finally finding forgiveness and giving forgiveness? Of finally rec- Who doesn't love the idea of that? We all love it. We all want to grow until we begin the hard surgery of extraction. That's when, it be, that, that's, that's when we find out how hard it is. When I was a young Christian, I think I was active in the ministry. I don't know that I was a vocational minister at this point. I, re, I do remember a mentor coming up to me and saying, Luke, if, if I gave you a pill for 100 bucks, you gave me 100 bucks, I hand you a pill, and you took it, and as soon as you took it, you instantly had 25 Bible passages memorized. Like you didn't have to go through the work to do it. You take the pill, bam, you've got 25 verses that are stuck in your head and you're never going to forget them, right? Is that worth 100 bucks to you? I said, yeah, sold, sold. I pay 100 bucks for that. He's like, okay, cool, I thought you would. How about 1,000 bucks for 50 passages in the Bible? And I thought, wait, the math doesn't work. I'm not smart, but that's not a tenfold increase of passages, right? Can you see what I'm already doing? I'm already looking at the value of what it would take to have something like that memorized. I'm already doing it. He says, yeah, you got me. It's not the same, but it's a thousand bucks for 50 passages. Would you do it? I said, well, which 50 are we talking about? Like, are you going to stick me in Deuteronomy or one of the lineages or something? I mean, I get to pick the 50, right? You see what I'm doing? I'm bargaining. I'm bargaining. How about you? What would you pay in money to get a pill where 20 books were instantly downloaded into your hard drive up here and you'd never forget it? You just pick up a book, say, this is one of them, and put it down, and just by osmosis, all the wisdom was brought into your head. What would you pay for 20 books that you could pick to just shape you, right? What would you pay in money? Thousand, ten thousand? Think about it. What would you pay in time? Because that's all it takes, right? This is time. Do you see how hard it is? If you want to grow, it means change. But change means loss. And loss is painful. Loss is painful. Maturity has a price tag. Here's the caveat I'm gonna put before you. You don't need to set a New Year's resolution. It's not like it's a biblical thing. I mean, the church, we kind of hijacked it. It's a cultural thing, right, for the most part. I mean, I'm preaching on it. It's, it's, not, it's not like Paul has some heavy, heavy opinions on January 1 or anyone else does. You don't have to set a New Year's resolution. But you do need to grow. That you do need to do. I know a lot of people that feel that New Year's resolutions or goals are dumb. I get it. So call it something else. Call it whatever you want. But when it comes to developing new routines or systems for change, we have a lot of help. There are some incredible books written on it, incredible teaching on it, on just how to change. In fact, I mean, I I went back and refreshed this because I typed it a couple years ago and I've been adding to it every year and it's just kind of grown that way. But 
on the front page of our website, you scroll all the way down, there's a blog post on how I systematically set resolutions every year with a book list and links to documents and everything you need as a starter pack to do something like that because I'm not going to do a clinic on it today on how to do something like that. But I find it to be helpful. And even then, if you read it all and read all those books, you don't have to buckle into a certain way. I mean, some are better than others, right? But make no mistake, disciples build seasonal rings and we're either growing in health or we are regressing into deformity. But there is no situation where you are frozen in time. doesn't exist. Friend, if you did not grow in 2022, it's because you regressed. If you did not grow last year, it's because you regressed. You didn't stay, you didn't stay still. And this hits all of us. I have seen ministry leaders... Pastors, network leaders, far more gifted than I'll ever be, regress to a place of depravity, being formed more by the world because they did not practice constant discernment and knowledge. They did not grow in grace and knowledge, as Paul would later on say. They stopped practicing. They stopped reaching. They stopped striving. They stopped toiling to do what? To enjoy Jesus more, to find him more often, to enjoy him. They stopped. And so they stop maturing. It's a lifelong exercise. Here's the, here's the thing. We're never going to get there until we get there. We're never going to get there. So we either plan to move forward or we've already made plans to move backwards. And here's my real problem with regression. It's not that you might end up this year less impressive than you started it. It's just that you won't enjoy Jesus as much this year. That's my real problem with it. It's that you might not enjoy and be content and satisfied in who Christ is, is God's answer to us. Is God's beautiful grace and remedy for our problems, for our need, for our desperate hungers. That would be the problem. I mean, listen, this year could be the deepest year of growth for you. One where you have big, broad, seasonal tree rings in your life, obvious fruits. This could be a year where you stop circling the same Boring cul-de-sac with the same elementary doctrines, wrestle with the same basic principles. This could be the year you enjoy Jesus more than you would ever enjoy Jesus before. It can be. It can be. It starts with repenting, though, right? It starts with repenting from being inactive, from just accidentally living, just kind of no plans at all, for not wanting growth because of what it will cost for wanting this world actually more than we want Christ, that requires repentance. Repentance for just refusing to pick up our cross. For not embracing the struggle of change and growth, which is what we are called to do. There's a lot of room to repent. But the good news is, is there's also going to be a day before us where incremental change stops and the change is sudden and forever. Right? This is what we would call glorification. It's a sudden, irreversible change. No more regression. No more striving. Striving is done. No more toil or reaching or stretching or working. No more failed resolutions. The only thing that grows is our discovery of Jesus. And that's going to grow in increasing measure, and it will be all we know. But in one flash, in one millisecond, we will be glorified and behold the Lord Jesus forever and ever, where every second is better than the second that had just passed. This is how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we 
shall be changed. Changed forever. Forever. Never to go back. Changed. But until that moment, we toil with all the energy he gives us. And we strive to mature. And then we enjoy Jesus because of that. And because we've enjoyed Jesus so much, we strive even more to mature. And because we strive so well, we enjoy Jesus just a little bit more than we used to. And because we enjoy Jesus a little bit more than we used to, we start striving again and on and on and on. But one thing we do is we refuse to live an accidental life. We refuse it. Amen?